Hi, everybody. It's Dr. Eric Quorum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, we have a really cool guest, Brad Kearns. He's a New York Times bestselling author, former professional triathlete, and currently, he's an elite master's track and field high jumper. Brad is here to share his wealth of knowledge and experience in human performance, diet, fitness, and personal growth. And today, we're going to discuss how restrictive diets may be impacting your health and the hidden stress they impose on your body, especially for those of us leading very busy lives. For me, the highlight of the episode is when Brad discussed minimizing the stress scoreboard of life and the concept of micro workouts. But before we dig in, if you've enjoyed hearing from our guests for over the past 300 episodes, I know it's crazy for me to even think about that. Please take a moment and hit the subscribe button on whichever listening platform you are joining us from. In this way, you'll never miss another episode. So now to my conversation with Brad. So let's lean in and learn from the best. Brad, welcome to The Blueprint. It's nice to have you on my show after being on yours. And it's amazing you're not even sweating after an amazing bike ride. Uh, it's, it's pretty impressive, my friend. However, from brain research, exercise physiology, my brain is firing on all cylinders now after that nice aerobic activity. And I can't wait to get into it with you. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, you're going to be epic today. So you and I were going back and forth about some ideas of what we could talk about because you've got a lot of experiences. You're highly intelligent and you've been in the world of human performance for a long time as both an athlete and some of the coaches, others. You brought up something interesting I thought would be a great idea to discuss. And that is there's all these different diets out there. You got low carb, paleo, keto, intermittent fasting, time restricted eating, whatever. But is there an impact, a second order impact that we're not considering for us really busy folks that are on the go all the time and how that may be impacting our bodies in ways we haven't thought about? Good question. Thanks. Yes. I mean, we have a huge modern problem. Dr. Lane Norton calls it energy toxicity. So the world, the developed world, eats too many calories and doesn't burn enough. And we have disease patterns and accelerated aging. So any diet will work extremely well if it's a departure from this unfettered access to indulgent foods that characterizes most people's lives uh, plus minimal activity. And so the incredible popularity of keto, intermittent fasting, primal paleo, veganism, vegetarian, carnivore, all these things have tremendous benefits. One, because they get you away from processed foods. And two, because they, by default, inherently restrict your caloric intake. If you're on a 16-8 pattern instead of a 24-7 pattern, you're going to consume fewer calories and you're going to have all these results. Now, you ask the question, what if someone is fit, active, healthy, looking for optimization? Then we have to sit back and reflect and realize that the effectiveness of diets like that involve fasting or carb restriction or restriction of anything are because they prompt a stress response in the body. So when you don't eat, you start to kick into fight or flight mechanisms like access stored fat to burn, you make uh, glucose through gluconeogenesis, and all these things a lot of times make you feel alert, energized, you're giving your, your digestive system a break because you have leaky gut syndrome, and so you feel like the, you know, you attribute your health breakthrough to going on a 16-8 eating pattern, for example. But we can't forget that this counts as a stressor 
on our scoreboard of our life. If we want to draw a piece of paper and have stress relief, recovery, restoration on one side, and then stressors on the other side, we have exercise, we have job, we have commute, we have mean girlfriend, we have all these things. Fasting counts as a stressor. So my reflections at this age and with my desire for peak performance and longevity, I want to minimize the overall stress scoreboard in my life. And when it comes to directing my energy to something, I want to perform athletically and recover and perform and recover. So that's my new mantra, perform, recover, perform, recover. And all my resources go toward that. And if I'm not exercising enough, then we have another question. Maybe I should start fasting. Maybe I should start going into the cold plunge and throwing all these things into the mix to wake up the body that's too comfortable and too indulgent and decadent. But when it comes to eating, if you're healthy blood markers, you're active, your body fat is, you know, satisfactory, then we want to rethink this strongly. So, okay, this is really interesting because I stopped intermittent fasting because of exactly what you just said. I felt almost agitated and to the point where I was jittery and I felt just on edge. I was reading a post. I hadn't really talked to anybody about this. And then I saw, you know, Dr. John Berardi, Precision Nutrition. He's out of Canada. I really like John. And um, he's a little bit older than me, very fit. And he just said that he stopped doing intermittent fasting because of the exact same thing. He felt like he was just a little too sympathetic dominant as he was getting closer and closer and closer to feeding times. And here he is, you know, late 40s, pushing 50. And he's like, I don't want that extra stress. But if we want to lose weight, and there's a lot of Americans that need to lose weight, like you said, there has to be some type of restriction. So what is your thoughts on like, what if somebody is trying to change their body composition? How do we win on the stress scoreboard? Well, the first objective is to eliminate nutrient deficient processed foods from the diet. And we don't have to discuss anything further. You can stop the, you can push the pause button right now and, you know, forget about the nuances and the, the hair splitting and the, the arguments between the factions. So anyone who eliminates processed foods is going to have great success because you're waking up your natural appetite and satiety mechanisms to the extent that it's very difficult to overconsume nutritious calories to the point of getting fat. Dr. Robert Lustig, one of the world's leading researchers, anti-sugar crusader, best-selling author, he stakes his reputation and his life's work on this idea that he told me, if you simply eliminate processed foods, it's impossible to get fat, to get diabetes, to get metabolic syndrome. And some raised eyebrows might be going on right now. But if you think about it, raise your hand, listener, if you've eaten too many steaks and felt terrible or had too many omelets and just ruined your, your diet and your peak performance, or for that matter, too many pineapples or what have you. So my mentality is now, if you consume an optimal amount of nutritious food, that is going to promote a stress-balanced, high-energy lifestyle. Now, we would love for you to go and put that energy to work and do the proper exercise and the necessity of moving throughout the day, putting in high intensity here and there, and all that would be ideal. But I think a lot of people get stuck in these patterns where they're becoming exhausted and stressed from dietary restriction, and it carries over into poor recovery from exercise, diminished motivation, suppressed immune function, and all these things would happen when you overdo any 
combination of stressors. Yeah, I mean, the research is starting to come out showing ultra-processed foods are just terrible for us. I mean, we've known this, but now it's like, oh, the research is catching up and starting to say this is really bad. And to your point, it's really hard to overeat foods that are like high in fiber, multicolored fruits and vegetables. Like how much celery can you possibly eat before you're just like, you know, not feeling good? And these foods that are, you know, these ultra processed foods are engineered to tickle our palate. I mean, they're just calorically dense. So you can consume and consume and consume. So I see what you're saying. It makes a lot of sense if you start making that shift. If half of your diet is ultra processed and you shift 30 to 40% over, you're going to be fuller way faster. It's really hard to eat a ton. Like, if you've ever been to like a, what are those Brazilian steakhouses and they come out with all the meat? And before you know it, you're just like, I just, I just can't. Like, after 12 to 16 ounces of meat, you're like, I'm done. I don't feel very good anymore. It's really hard to overconsume that stuff. Yeah. And then you get up from Brazilian Steakhouse and you walk down the street in Las Vegas and you feel great. A, a 12 of us went and everyone walked out of that restaurant alert, energized, happy, feeling incredibly satisfied. It was nothing like overstuffing yourself at the buffet next door where you're having miniature cheesecakes along with gelato on the top of your crab legs and your too many bowls of this and that. Yeah, I will. I'm going to tell a self-deprecating story here. This past weekend was Memorial Day and I haven't had a drop of alcohol in six, nine months maybe. And so seeing my family and my sister made some margaritas and it was all like, that was it. It wasn't like crazy. It was actually all done with like natural fruit. She squeezed it all there. She put some tequila in it, but I haven't had that in such a long time. I had one drink and I go to bed and my heart is like bounding out of my chest. I'm like, I don't ever want to do this again. And it wasn't like I, I wasn't drunk or anything like that. It's just your body is designed for certain things. And I'm not trying to shame anybody that drinks alcohol at all. My body also doesn't handle it very well. But I like this idea of winning on the scoreboard of stress. What are some of the things that you're doing in your personal life? What your routines look like that a busy person with kids that's hectic, what are some of the things that they could put into place in their own life that you found to be helpful for you? Well, I think the top priority is sleep and everyone nods their head and pays lip service to it. But I notice that sleep quite a bit and there's a correlation between heavy exercise and even more sleep. So I'm really getting sick of the messaging where, you know, you can't be super badass unless you get up at 5 a.m. And, and crush that early morning workout. And, you know, there's the, the CEO category where everyone's giving their tips. And interesting note, 82% of CEOs wake up at 5.47 a.m. or earlier. I don't care. And I'm not going to take advice from, you know, someone who's successful in business and tells me to wake up early. So I think we all have to place sleep at the top priority so that we wake up feeling alert, energized, and have a bit of motivation to get out there and get moving. And then down the list we go, we have a critical objective to move more frequently in everyday life. So I've really become a fond of this concept of micro workouts, which I think is the greatest breakthrough in the fitness industry that we've seen in decades. Because when I look at the fitness industry as a whole, what I see is a lot of sexy, high intensity, exhaustive programming a workout program that's inherently exhausting. 
the Peloton bike. Love that thing. I love the workouts and the functionality. But when these workouts last for an hour, for example, the average enthusiast that you just described, who's got busy family life and busy career, there's a very high propensity to overdo it, a high potential to overdo it. CrossFit is often called out as the place where you go to get injured and also get you know cheered on when you, you set new PRs. The endurance scene is littered with the struggle and suffer mentality that harms people. So I think a sensible approach to exercise where you're simply working your cardiovascular system. Everyone talks about zone two. And I'm like, wait, who invented these zones? And what happened to zone <laughs> one? I'm a big fan of zone one. And so if you get up off your butt and walk down to the mailbox, guess what? That is an outstanding cardiovascular stimulus. It counts as a workout. Same with taking a leisurely walk after dinner. So yeah, we can get nuanced and, and plug into the, the latest greatest, but challenging yourself and getting out of breath once in a while with a, a micro workout where you're doing a set of 20 deep squats in your cubicle. Guess what? Even if you're fit, when you get to 17, 18, 19, it's a pretty good stimulation that takes one minute. So, a one-minute workout can change your life if you sprinkle these types of behaviors into your busy day. And of course, it's great to go to the gym with your personal trainer and get a 12-pack a of sessions that you know take you through the motions. But so many people are falling short because fitness is too complex and too exhausting. So we want to like wake up the idea of a casual, kinder, gentler approach to fitness that's sensible and is centered upon just getting more active throughout the day. I love this. I think the research out of University of Texas is calling it exercise snacks. Every hour, 10 squats, 15 squats, walk around the room for a few minutes. I don't know if you've seen this paper, but they were looking at like people that moved less than 4,000 steps a day. Mm -hmm. Did you see this paper and the people that moved? Yes, UCLA, I think. And they moved more than 8,500 steps a day. And then they all did, I think it was a one-hour aerobic session. And the people that just move more during the day had a better reaction biologically to the workout session. Like we're not meant to just stand still. And, and so I really love this idea of like, hey, you're a busy person, microdose some workouts. You can do them anywhere in any way, wall push-ups, depending on your, your current state of physical fitness. It's 120 right now where I'm at. And today I am not, quote, working out. But what I did was I woke up, I did a two-mile walk this morning. Hmm. I took a, a meeting, skipped Zoom, walked around the block, I think five or eight times, and I'm at like 8,000 steps already. <laughs> and if I keep it up, by the end of the day, I'll probably walk 12 or 13,000 steps. Today's a recovery day, but guess what? I moved and I feel great and I don't feel guilty. You know what I'm saying? I think there's just a lot of guilt on people now. Yeah. And on a side note, that amazing research that active recovery is more effective than laying on the couch. Because when I was a pro triathlete training for five, six, seven hours a day, I thought the ultimate form of recovery was to rent a bunch of videos, sit on the couch and consume calories. And your body actually does better and recovers better from a sprint session or a high intensity interval training session. If you get up and put those steps in the next day, you get blood flow, you get lymphatic function, and it's a nice, you know, notion that nothing beats general everyday movement as a fitness boost. And a lot of experts contend it's more important and more beneficial than adhering to a badass fitness regimen where you're sweating and getting up at 6 a.m. and all that fun stuff. And at my age, I'll put in a plug for the older listeners, like 
I can't fool around so much with these badass workouts because I get tired and I get sore. So I'm trying to fly under the radar in general with my fitness objectives where, yes, I'll go and do the sprint workouts and high jump workouts for my peak competitive efforts, but there's a lot of gentle 50 to 70th percentile activity like doing my running drills almost every day. They're not easy, but they prepare me for the time when I really am going to open up the throttle and do something difficult. And if I had to just go once a week and crush myself like a weekend warrior, it wouldn't be happening. There'd be injuries, there'd be fallout. So you kind of have to elevate your fitness space by just sprinkling in these micro workouts and these opportunities. I talk about my morning exercise routine, which is I wake up in the morning, I hit the deck, and I go through this sequence of activities that's really been life-changing for me because as an athlete, I got all these hall passes in my pocket, like, yeah, I'm working out, we got a track session over at 2 p.m., so I'm gonna sit on my ass you know, for the next nine hours and not think about moving. Same with afterward when I go and reach for more ice cream and all these hall passes that I'm using. So instead, It's like, how can I integrate fitness into an entire lifestyle? So it's not just plugging in the workouts and hitting the the numbers in your book, but, you know, having a more active, varied and energetic day. I love that. We're going to put a link to that. Isn't there something you now offer as far as your morning routine? Am I right? Yeah. If you look at bradkearns.com, I have an online course and you can learn how to devise your own convenient, sustainable morning exercise routine. And the power of doing something first thing in the morning, all the habit experts assert this also, is that now you're making a vote for yourself that you care about your fitness, your activity, and you're setting yourself up for a day of discipline, focus, and increased activity because this is how you start your day. I don't want people to get intimidated. You look at my routine, it's gone up and up and up over the last six years where I have the streak where I've done it pretty much every single day, but it started pretty mellow. Now it's 40 minutes. It's pretty badass and it's difficult, but it's not that difficult for me because I do it every single day. Mm -hmm. But for someone thinking this might be a helpful thing to integrate into your lifestyle, get up and resolve that the first thing you do is leash up that dog and walk around the block one lap. And maybe when you come back, you get to the bench and you do 10 squats and that's your morning routine. And if you can build a habit by jumping over this low bar to say, this means a lot to me, I'm gonna make a commitment to it. It's not too daunting that I'm gonna get discouraged after 14 days or 71 days. It's something that fits right in conveniently into my lifestyle. Then you can naturally organically grow from there where you throw in another exercise and you stack up this thing that that works perfectly for you. But a tiny commitment to activity first thing in the morning, oh, by the way, it also wakes you up fantastically better than any substance or any other activity. And we also have to be sensitive about the use of our attention and our brain function because 84% of Americans do the exact same thing every morning. Do you know what it is, Eric? scroll as soon as they wake up yeah they reach for the phone oh i was a guest (laughs) yeah they reach for the mobile device and so when you reach for the mobile device as your first act upon awakening there's a psychologist uh, nicole benders hadi she says quote you'll never recover end quote and what she means is that you are now locking into the reactive dopamine triggering state that you get from consuming intermittent variable rewards which are the text messages or the social media screen. And these are highly addictive. A slot machine is the best example of an addictive game that builds giant casinos with the money earned from slot machines. And so once you get in 
into scrolling mode, it's very difficult to put the phone down and extricate and go right into your gratitude journal or your meditation session or an exercise session in my example. So if I can show that self-discipline to leave the phone aside and hit the deck and start doing the first thing I do is on the ground, it's safe for my lower back, and I start kicking and swinging my legs around because mine's designed for athletic training. But whatever you do, the first thing is a vote toward activity and wellness and building energy naturally in the morning. I love this. This is so practical. About a year and a half ago, the first thing I started doing was waking up and walking. And it started just 10 minutes. And for me, it was more like, I started learning about how walking helps us process complex information and it helps us actually people with trauma. It's like the EMDR boards. It's basically optic flow. And so I was like, okay, I'm under a lot of stress. Maybe I should start my day this way. And I started feeling calmer and then I wanted to walk more and I wanted to walk more. And so now my thing is, is I put on a 20 pound brute force weight vest. It's five I like to get up early, but I go to bed super early. So that's just the trade-off for me. Our kids go down, my wife and I go down. Nice. So I'm in bed by nine o'clock. So I like to get up at five, not because of anything that we talked about. So no shaming on buddy. That's me. And I feel good because I like to have my work. I like to have a certain amount of work done by 11 a.m. But then I cut it off earlier in the evening. I started doing this and now I'm just like... It's stacking wins. It's reinforcing in your own favor that this is who I am. This is what I do. And for me, it's also a spiritual time to pray, to think, to reflect. And um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. I think everybody should do this, but you should do it in a way that's authentic to you. Brad, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, where would you send them? Oh, go see me at bradkerns.com. You'll see all kinds of fun videos like my speed golf exploits and high jumping. And I host the Be Rad podcast. So if you want to check that out. Great show. Go search for the the Eric Coram show and and start there. (laughs) We had a great show. And uh, hopefully we can connect that way. We love uh, receiving email and answering every single one. So I really appreciate what you're doing and the opportunity to connect here is fantastic. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate it. And I'm excited for people to hear this message. It's a much needed message. And you're one of those trustworthy sources out there. And I'm very thankful to have you on the show today. I'm on the trustworthy category, man. I appreciate that. That's important (laughs) these days. No question. I can give you some thoughts on that. You got to be authentic. I'm like, here I am close to 500 shows on the B-Rad podcast. And I I went back and reviewed a little bit. And then I did a show, you know, talking about the controversy these days with people getting exposed. And I said, you know, I've actually told the truth and been completely authentic on every show. So if I say that I sleep in till 7.15, 7.30, 7.45 sometime, that's true. I love being up early, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And right now I'm injured. So I talk about my enthusiasm for sprinting and jumping and training sensibly. But the injury to me, I might as well have come on the the video here with a big L on my forehead (laughs) because it was an indication that I overdid it and abused Mm. my body rather than nurtured it. So I'm still on the learning process and I'm, I'm with everybody. We're in this together. So I appreciate that. You got it, my man. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And did you know that we're on YouTube now? That's right. Go check out at Eric Corum on YouTube and you can now watch all of your favorite episodes with me and the guest. It's been a lot of fun. We're going back probably 20 episodes now. So go check it out. And make sure to hit the subscribe button on there so we can grow that channel. 
Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.